This week in KMA Land, Shenandoah District undergoes school safety review. Page County Supervisors debate courthouse ramp project. Montgomery County Supervisors accept comp board recommendations. Supervisors hear Villisca rezoning concerns. And Mills County hires a new county attorney. I'm Mike Peterson. Shenandoah School District is among those in KMA Land taking advantage of a state program gauging safety and security standards. Recently, officials with Tetra Tech of Omaha conducted a two-day review of measures at each of the district's buildings. Shenandoah School Superintendent Dr. Kerry Nelson says the district received $50,000 per building from the Iowa Department of Education for the review as part of Governor Kim Reynolds' school safety initiative. Enacted after the school shooting massacre in Uvalde, Texas. We were in session literally three and a half hours at the K-8 building with this company answering every possible security question. Um, and it goes a lot deeper than an SOR. I mean, it, an SOR was part of the conversation, but goes into technology, um, surveillance, gating, uh, lots of different aspects of school safety. While saying the survey's feedback won't be published as it would expose security risks, Nelson says the district can learn a lot from the results. There are things we can improve on. We said that when we sat down, we work hard, we drill hard, you know, we. We, we try to um, be as proactive as we can, and there are things that we still, every time we look at our plan, every time we debrief, there are things we can do better. Nelson says the review's timing was good concerning recent developments in the district, including last month's lockdown to the JK-8 building, which took place after a threatening note was discovered alleging a weapon in the building, and no weapon was found. Nelson praised the district's administrators and staff for their handling of the situation. It's never perfect. We do debrief on every incident and make sure that we are doing everything we can. The um, building level administrators did everything they could possibly do in a lockdown situation to keep people comfortable. And just frankly, it's not comfortable to be in a lockdown. It's not possible. And if you're comfortable in a lockdown, then Concerned. Board member Jeff Heiser thanked Nelson for her comments, saying the district received unfair criticism of its handling of the matter. Heiser also recommended the board revisit hiring a school resource officer in light of last month's incident. In other business Monday night, the board, by a 4-1 to vote, re-elected Gene Fichter to another one-year term as board president. Heiser nominated and voted for himself as president. By that same vote, Adam Vandervliet was elected board vice president, with Heiser again nominating and voting for himself. Also, by a 4-1 to vote, Victor was selected as the board's representative to the Page County Conference Board, with Heiser casting the lone dissenting vote, while board member Clint Wooten was unanimously named to the Fremont County Conference Board. Safety concerns of a different sort were the focus of Tuesday's Page County Board of Supervisors meeting. Meeting in regular session Tuesday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors tabled action on approving architectural fees for canopy designs over the courthouse's entrances. Last week, the board was presented with a bid from Farnsworth LLC, the firm that also assisted the county in developing its courthouse window project of over $14,000 to develop plans for three canopies, including the handicapped entrance. However, Supervisor Jacob Holmes says another option could be heated maps designed for handicap ramps. Holmes says he has discussed the mats with a Concrete Expressions LLC representative in Clorinda who could fit them specifically into the courthouse's needs. He said, well, we can look at that and uh, patching the, the joints where they're bad, fix the joints, then you put the mat over top of it so it'd be smooth, and then the, the mats would heat at any time of snow or had ice. And the mats somewhere, and he, he hadn't got it put together, but he was guessing around $6,000 for the mats 
somewhere in that ballpark. He adds another option would be to completely redo the concrete with the wiring for the heat, then place directly into the concrete. Page County Auditor Melissa Wellhausen approached the board with accessibility concerns on the handicapped entrance at a meeting late November. Supervisor Alan Armstrong advised Holmes to ensure bidders are aware of any liability issues associated with working on the handicapped entrance and be willing to coordinate with those possibly installing the canopies. However, Holmes says they may not need the canopies if they pursue the heated mats or concrete. The canopies going to be pretty hard to do, and I thought about that looking at it. There's a window right there. You have to cover part of a window to put a canopy on because it's you get it high enough where you can go down in there. It looks to me like you're going to have to go over part of a window. So there's just lots of things to figure out, uh, but might not be need of a canopy uh, if it's heated. While he agreed with tabling the decision to explore other potential options, Supervisor Chuck Morris urged Holmes to have potential bidders contact the individuals who have also been conversing with Farnsworth on the possible project to ensure all needs are being addressed. Whoever you're going to get bids from needs to talk with at least Gene, if not Gene and the auditor, to discuss what has been talked about to this point. Because uh, um, I just I want to make sure that we're taking care of all the concerns, which I know the uneven surface is a concern, the ice buildup is mm -hmm. a concern. But I don't know if, if those discussions got any deeper. The board tabled the discussion to a future meeting once more final figures have been gathered on the heating maps and other associated costs. The year 2022 isn't over, but Montgomery County officials are already looking ahead to next fiscal year's budget. By unanimous vote Tuesday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors approved the recommendations of the county's compensation board on salary increases for the county's elected officials in fiscal 2024. At its December 7th meeting, the comp board recommended a 15% increase for the county sheriff and 12% increases for the county's auditor, treasurer, recorder, attorney, and supervisors. Supervisor Donna Robinson says the board did its homework before making its recommendation. The information sent to them, and it's it's obvious that they study it, they do their research, and try to come up with the best recommendation possible that they can. One of the things that that board talked about this year was the Social Security inflation rate is at 8%. That comes into play. Robinson says the board made its decision after hearing from elected officials speaking at the meeting. As always, when this recommendation comes to the Board of Supervisors, we accept the recommendation. But we're usually the bad guys because we don't necessarily go ahead and approve to give that sort of a raise. But it all depends on what our levy rates are and valuations, and we're still waiting on that information. Though the supervisors approved the comp board's recommendations, the final decision regarding salaries will be made when the county's fiscal 24 budget is finalized. Robinson hopes to send valuations and other budget information to department heads as soon as possible. All the department heads will be, I, I would assume, maybe are working on their budgets and then we'll just have to, at some point, give them an idea of what to put in for raises for them, you know, for their staff based on the recommendation that we have gotten or we are making. But as in past years, we can give them a recommendation at some point along the way. But I think it's better if we have all five of us here and we talk about some of that information before we move forward. March 15th is the deadline for state certification of counties and municipalities' budgets for next fiscal year. Also, Tuesday's meeting plans to rezone some Montgomery County property for a proposed storage area came to a temporary halt as the supervisors tabled the second reading of the proposed rezoning of property at 2663 U Avenue in Villisca from R Residential to C Commercial. 
Owner Joshua Kendrick filed the request in order to operate a storage business for recreational vehicles, including boats and campers. But Montgomery County Sheriff John Spinagle voiced a number of concerns over the proposed storage business. Spinagle and his wife recently purchased property across from the proposed storage area in order to live outside city limits. He questioned whether a commercial venture is an appropriate use for the land. Acreages are at premium. They're very hard to come by. People move to the country to try to get away from some of the city life that we lived in forever. And now all of a sudden we're looking at it being commercialized. Benagle expressed concerns that his property values would drop and questioned whether the county would receive any value back from the storage operation. He also questioned whether the property would be properly taken care of. If you look around at some of these outdoor storage places, whether they're run the right way or the wrong way, I'm sorry, but they still look like a junkyard next door. Uh, with everything parked outside, not everybody parks a nice sparkly brand new camper to where it makes it look like a showroom instead of a junkyard. Kendrick replied that tree breaks were placed in the south and west sides of the property to address visual concerns and added he would be willing to place a tree break on the east side. You are correct. We can own the land uh, and and uh, own the property and, and manage it as best as we see fit, but ultimately whoever's paying to, to park there, etc. It, it is their property, you know, parked there. Last week, the supervisors approved the proposed rezoning's first reading with stipulations. The first entails the installation of privacy screening along the fence next to a neighboring property. Secondly, downcast lighting must be installed in order to prevent bright lights from shining onto adjoining properties. But Supervisor Charlotte Smith asked to table the second reading in order to view the property in question. After further discussion, board members tabled the second reading and place the third reading on the agenda for next week's supervisors' meeting. After weeks of searching, Mills County has a new county attorney. At its regular meeting Tuesday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors approved Deshaun Birdsell to fill the vacancy left by Nada Elliott's resignation last month. Birdsell ran as a write-in candidate in the November general elections, but Elliott, whose name was left on the ballot, was the top vote-getter. A lifelong Mills County resident currently practicing in Glenwood, Bredsell graduated from Creighton University's law school in 2000. Supervisor Richard Crouch told KMA News Birdsell is no stranger to the county and the legal community. She's grown up here in this community and stuff, and the people, the other lawyers and stuff that I interviewed about Deshaun was find someone that is local, understands what's going on, and is respected by your people in the community. And she kind of fit all the categories, so... Uh, uh, that was how I made my choice. KMA land isn't immune to the wave of illnesses sweeping the country. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program earlier this week, Page County Public Health Administrator Richard Mullen says the county is seeing signs of the so-called triple-demic, which includes strains of colds, flu, and COVID-19. They have a lot of very common symptoms that are related, and they're very hard to determine without being tested for you know, COVID and flu or even, even going in and check, getting checked out for common cold of what is actually going on with that individual. And so it's really important that people who have any type of symptoms related to a cold, to the flu, is you know, take the necessary steps, get that checked out. Mullen says all three strains require a certain precautions. One has a quarantine of five days. The flu is, you know, staying at home so you don't, you know, pass that flu. The common cold is, you know, something that you have to live with kind of on a daily thing and then just take the necessary precautions and, you know, limit your contact with people and things like that. As with this time last year, Page County is reporting another spike in COVID-19 cases. 
Bowman says 22 positive cases reported within a seven-day period, but he adds not all COVID cases detected in home testing are reported in the county. What's kind of going on is people are getting going into doctors for flu-like symptoms or also, you know, for any GI issues and things like that. The hospitals are doing a great job of also testing for everything else. So if you go in for a common cold, they're going to test for COVID and, and the flu so that they can really kind of identify what they're facing, what that person is facing as well, so they can make sure that they're providing the the best treatment possible. Though the percentage of Page County residents with at least one COVID shot remains high at 59 percent, Bowman notes a slight decrease in the number of residents with the full allotment of vaccinations. He attributes the decline to the bivalent vaccine, the only booster shot now recommended for COVID. We are at about a 54.5 percent prior to that bivalent. Now it's about a 53.5. So just a small reduction. But that's when people start coming in and use that bivalent more often. And it's been mostly 65 years and older that are really kind of looking at addressing and getting that bivalent because we're at an 83% vaccine rate with that bivalent for that age group. Mullen adds his agency continues to note a great response to the two monthly COVID vaccine clinics. Though no clinics are slated for this month, two clinics are scheduled for January 10th and 24th. For more information on COVID-19 or flu vaccinations, contact Page County Public Health at 712-850-1212. Students and staff in the East Mills School District had an unexpected one-day break earlier this week. Classes were canceled in the district Tuesday because of mass absenteeism. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Thursday morning, East Mills School Superintendent Tim Hood says numerous kids were sick Monday and the situation got worse as the day progressed. We had, I want to say... About 60 students at the elementary that were absent at the start of the day, and then by the end of the day, we had lost about 20 more. So we evaluated the availability of staff to be able to have school on Tuesday. Obviously, some of those folks were uh, ill as well. Some of their students, their own kids got sick as well, so uh, we made a decision to uh, cancel classes on Tuesday. Hood says custodians deep cleaned and disinfected the buildings during the one-day closure. Though about 70 students were still absent, classes resumed on Wednesday. Compounding staff sickness is the lack of adequate substitute teachers. We have a definite shortage of, of uh, substitute teachers and, and support staff as well. So uh, it makes it that much more difficult uh, when you have an outbreak um, of some sickness and you can't get subs to start with, and then uh, it makes it even more difficult after that. Hood says he appreciates the parents for their patience and urges them to take precautions to avoid another unexpected interruption in the school schedule. We're washing our hands. And we're, we're cleaning things. Uh, if your student's not feeling well, uh, please keep them home. Uh, so that we can get through this the best we can and uh, continue having school. Though similar sickness waves were expected or reported in the Sydney and South Page school districts, where Hood is also superintendent, he says it wasn't enough to cancel school. Clorinda officials have approved the first reading of an ordinance that would require leashes on animals not on private property. Earlier this week, the Clorinda City Council unanimously approved the first reading of an ordinance amendment dealing with at-large animals in town. City Manager Gary McLarnon says the amendment clarifies language and would require animals to be on a leash when not on the owner's premises. We have had, uh, and Keith can verify this too, some dog bites here lately um, that have been more on the serious side. One thing we have realized is that when we define what running at large or what at large means, we don't have anything that says they have to be on a leash or a rope or 
a chain or anything like that. McCarnan says under the amendment, pet owners would have to have control of their animal with either a leash or something similar. This would actually then um, add on that, you know, not, not only does that large mean it's off the premises, but it also means that it's not tied securely by a rope or a chain or on the leash. So basically we're just adding some wording that makes it a true leash law. Under the proposed amendment, pet owners would still be able to let pets out without a leash if they remain on the premises. Police Chief Keith Brothers says owners would still be liable for the animal if it leaves the property or if an electrical fence system were to fail. If your electrical system fails and your dog bolts from your property and goes out into the street and bites a walker, someone walking or jogging by, you are going to be in violation of yeah. the ordinance. If adopted, Brothers says violators of the ordinance would be subject to a municipal infraction. Following the passage of the first reading, the amendment will require at least one more reading in its current form before being adopted. Some Glenwood residents will remember 2022 as the year without an outdoor swimming pool season. City officials hope to make a bigger splash in 2023. Glenwood City Administrator Amber Farnan tells KMA News, JEO Consulting, the engineering firm that designed the facility, conducted an on-site inspection to the center in August and presented its findings recently to the Glenwood City Council. Farnan says the comprehensive review was sought after a string of issues delayed and ultimately forced the city to cancel its 2022 pool season. We've been having um, water loss issues, and they think they have found that area of concern. Um, and then also some of the fittings. We had a big crack underneath the decking of the pool that they we fixed already. And then um, when we turned the water back on after that, we had some more, another cracked pipe in the, I guess it's called, I'm not sure it's called the pump house, but it's in the back of the pool. So, and then that, that just caused us the, where we weren't going to be able to open. She says JEO has also stated they will work with Erickson Construction to provide labor and materials. The contractor who constructed the nearly $5 million facility, which opened in 2016. Farnan says the engineering firm believes they've identified the areas that need repair, including a filter T along the center's water supply line. They're going to replace the T that that cracked and, and then make sure that the rest of them are lined up correctly. Um, and then there's an area where we're having water loss and they're going to work on a joint ceiling there. So they've kind of looked at the pool as a whole to find those areas of why we might still be having issues. Additionally, Farnan says the upcoming repairs conducted by JEO and Erickson will come at little to no cost to the city. Farnan says the two groups hope to conduct the necessary repairs in the early spring of next year and open up the center for the traditional 2023 pool season. Efforts to declare emergency services as essential services continue in KMA land. While well, the referendum wasn't on the ballot in Page or Fremont counties this November, Shenandoah Medical Center's CEO Matt Sells tells KMA News discussions continue with elected officials and overall trends are moving in a positive direction. Sells cites the eight counties in Iowa that did have a referendum vote to declare EMS an essential service. We saw five of eight of those uh, referendums pass. Uh, which was which was really good to see, and the three that didn't pass, uh, you know, they missed by a narrow margin. And I think, you know, seeing that uh, and understanding what a challenge it is across the state, you know, it continues to kind of bring to light that uh, your your local EMS teams are going to need more support that they have, you know, whether that's 
replacing equipment or, or working on staffing or, or getting more people into the field. Under the bill passed by the Iowa legislature in 2021, counties can implement a tax levy of up to 75 cents per thousand dollars valuation to help fund their respective EMS services. However, it does require a 60 percent majority as a ballot referendum. Sells says he expects more developments in southwest Iowa here over the next four to six months regarding a possible referendum. However, he says there are a few hurdles to cross, including a resolution passed by the County Board of Supervisors. Board of Supervisors would pass that resolution and then a, uh, you know, a certain time period then has to uh, pass uh, in, or, in order to have the appropriate public hearings and all those kind of things. In the meantime, I would expect our uh, you know, team, uh, our, our local EMS associations in both Page and Fremont County to, to do a number of town halls. Uh, just to educate the public in each of our communities. Sell says the vote could occur on a regular November election or a special election. And he emphasized that dropping volunteer numbers and EMS and the large expenses of providing adequate number of full-time employees have created a system not currently sustainable. Given the region's rural makeup, Sell says roughly 35 to 40 percent of Shenandoah's ambulance service runs are outside of Shenandoah and any transfer is needed to the Omaha area. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This Week in KMA Land is a presentation of KMA News.